Welcome to a new episode of Film Seizure at the Movies. I'm Jeff Arbuckle, co-host of the Film Seizure podcast that you can catch each Wednesday morning with my cohorts, Jason Oliver and Chuck Moore, and my solo show, Monster Mondays, that you can hear each Monday afternoon. You can catch both of these shows at filmseizure.com. This week, I'm going to review Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, the latest release in the Indiana Jones saga. I'm going to talk a little bit about the series itself, too, and how I kind of feel about Indiana Jones as a whole. And, you know, some of that stuff that that kind of goes into why he's such a great action-adventure hero. And I think that's the best place to start, the genre itself, action-adventure. And to me, that's a very specific term and subgenre. You know, your straight-up action films would look a little bit like typical 80s movies starring Stallone or Schwarzenegger or Chuck Norris. But under that surface, you have action thriller films. These are your Clint Eastwood movies, particularly the Dirty Harry movies or the Charles Bronson movies like the Death Wish series or 10 to Midnight. Of course, there are spy thrillers and spy action movies that you're, you know, that you find your James Bond and Mission Impossible movies settled in. But to me, there's no more classic genre in film than adventure films. While any other action movie could have our hero globetrotting and going to exotic locations, adventure films tend to have a lot, uh, you know, kind of tend to have a set of characters that are uh, something similar to what you would think of as explorers. One movie that I think is not often, uh, listed as an adventure film but fits all of the hallmarks of being an adventure film uh, or an action adventure film is king kong you have people going to a mysterious island with mysterious people and a really big mystery living in the jungles of that island adventure has an element of discovery to it and i would say if you go back to a certain time in hollywood adventures would have been one of the primary genres that made a lot of studios a lot of money. And that was obviously the inspiration for George Lucas uh, and then later Steven Spielberg when they came along uh, to do the Indiana Jones films. Like Star Wars, Lucas was specifically looking to create an updated version of those old movie serials from the 30s and 40s. Originally, Lucas collaborated with Philip Kaufman until Kaufman was called away to work on the Eastwood Western the outlaw Josie Wales. Later, when Spielberg told Lucas that he'd like to do a James Bond film, Lucas pitched the Indiana Jones concept as a better idea than a Bond film. And certainly, when you look at the box office gross uh, of those earlier Indiana Jones films, it probably was a better idea than doing a Bond movie. And Spielberg loved it and loved that, you know, he wouldn't, have the typical gadgets and stuff that Bond had. Being an archaeologist, Indy would have to survive on his wits and intelligence. And one of the things that everyone remembers about Indiana Jones is that he is indeed an archaeologist. One thing I don't hear too much about when people talk about these movies is that he's actually a professor of archaeology at the fictional West Coast College called Marshall College. 
it's through that college that he has the funding to do what he does. It informs us that he's actually provably smart and learned and scholarly. When you see him in his more buttoned-down teaching profession, he actually comes off almost like a nerd. However, like a good 30s or 40s pulp adventure hero, he's this rugged brawler and quick with a gun. His leather jacket, brown fedora, khaki shirt, and pants are standard for adventurers of that era. And this series uh, certainly took that on uh, from those other movies that it was inspired by. However, what makes Indy so much cooler as an action star uh, is that bullwhip and satchel. We know the look. I don't think I need to go too far into that other than to say as a kid growing up, I just thought that was a real neat outfit. I'm not kidding. I mean, part of the reason why I have for about the past 20 years or so often opted to wear a messenger bag strapped across my torso at Uh, conventions was to kind of feel like indiana jones going on an adventure to find cool stuff and obtain it archaeology is absolutely part of attending a comic book convention in summer of 1981 that first indiana jones film came out raiders of the lost ark now we covered that movie on film seizure a couple of years back i think most people remember what that was um Indy goes up against Nazis in 1936 to make sure those dastardly villains don't obtain an immensely powerful uh, thing that was the Ark of the Covenant. And to me, it is nearly as perfect an action and adventure film that has ever existed. I think it is one of Spielberg's very best films, even among his Oscar winners, Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan. Uh, It's so perfectly paced. It's full of wonder. It's perfectly acted by Harrison Ford, Karen Allen, and John Rhys-Davies. For a movie that takes place in a desert location like in Egypt, it even looks beautiful on a mostly monochromatic color palette. The great thing about Indiana Jones is that he's not just the know-it-all hero guy that would have been seen in those earlier versions of those types of movies. But he's also cynical. He's gruff when he's on the job. He's not surly, but he's also not naive. Uh, He's traveled the world a few times over, and he's seen some people do crappy things. And he's been someone who's done those crappy things himself. Um, He's usually scruffy. He's not an angel. So that gives him a little bit of that noirish anti-hero characterization as well. Um, As an example of fairly top-notch writing, we know a lot about Indiana Jones' character in just the first act of that first movie. From there, we can see him do what he does for the rest of that movie and, frankly, the rest of the series. I love that we don't meet Indiana Jones at the beginning of his career as an adventurer. He's been at this for some time. It's also a great movie made even greater by having this amazing soundtrack scored by the always fantastic John Williams. It's one of those theme songs for a character that immediately conjures up the hero, uh, basically the moment that you hear it. And then in 1984, the sequel arrived, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Now, here's the thing. It's both a sequel and a prequel, as it's set one year earlier than Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is 1935. From what I basically understood is that the kind of the main reason to do this um, it was to kind of keep 
Indiana Jones somewhat virtuous while having a different leading lady in Kate Capshaw. Considering it seemed as though Indy reconnected with a former love, the concern was that we'd think less of him uh, moving on to another girl right away. But whatever. That movie deals with uh, more religious and superstitious artifacts. Um, it's a lot darker. I, you know, and to be honest with you, I never really cared that much for the movie. Um, it's kind of known for, like I said, being a really dark outing for Indy. And this was by design by Spielberg and Lucas. Um, Lucas was kind of going through a rough period in his life. And so he was kind of thinking much darker. Um, yeah. And, and some of the, it's tonally kind of weird also because Spielberg wasn't in that same space headspace as Lucas was. I don't know, but it is one of the movies that directly led to the PG 13 rating, um, you know, being created as that was kind of put into effect a couple of months after the release of this movie. Um, other ones that would certainly be a reason for that rating to be created. Gremlins, which came out just a few weeks later. Ghostbusters, I would certainly say, is another that that could have been considered for that uh, PG-13 as well. Now, while I don't mind darker takes and slightly higher stakes that kind of come along with that, the movie just didn't quite fit right for me uh, with the Indiana Jones character. I still like some things in the movie. I like short round Indiana Jones kid sidekick in this movie that felt very comic booky or like those Saturday serials for kids. Um, I like the opening scene in Shanghai. Um, the high speed rail car escape in the caves is fantastic. Generally though, the movie just doesn't really quite work for me as a sequel. And I just don't ever feel that great watching it. In 1989, though, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade came out in one of the greatest summer movie slates in film history, certainly of my life. Um, this felt like a grand last adventure, as Indy would be joined again by his friend Salo, who's played by John Rhys-Davies, uh, and his longtime friend and sort of mentor played by Denholm Elliott that we saw in the first film. However, we also get to meet Indy's father, played by Sean Connery. This was more of a direct sequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark as it is set in 1938. I know some people have different opinions of the movie, um, but, you know, put yourself in my shoes. As a 12-year-old kid getting taken to see this uh, by my mom, because she both knew I'd want to see it, but also she kind of wanted to see it too, uh, it's one of those warm and fuzzy childhood memories. Um but the tenor of the film, the high adventure and action, Harrison Ford and Sean Connery. And of course, it brings back the Nazi bad guys um, and a third act that is kind of emotional and has a few quotes uh, that, that can be quotable or a few lines that are quotable in the movie. It just felt like a real return to form for Indiana Jones and a fairly rip roaring good time. What's maybe the most interesting thing about Last Crusade is that for some people, it's their favorite movie in the series. For a vast number of people, it's placed second. Um, this is where I have it in the series. However, there are a fair number of people who really don't like the movie and felt it wasn't a return to adventure form that I liked about the original. That it was more of, it was just kind of one of those more of the same type of things. And I think that's perfectly fine, however you feel about it. I have my opinion, and hey man, whatever your opinion is, hey man, that's yours. That's great. 
But after 1989, I never expected to see Indiana Jones ever again. Sure, there was the TV series Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, but that was more along the lines of young adult adventure stuff. I only watched, I think, maybe a few episodes of that, and I've always wanted to go back and watch more, but never really got around to it. But I never expected Harrison Ford to return. I felt that Indiana Jones was a thing of the 80s, and that would be it. And to a lot of people's surprise, uh, like 19 years after The Last Crusade, Indiana Jones returned to the big screen for Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. The movie, uh, true to real life, was set 19 years after Last Crusade, which would be 1957. Instead of Nazis, Indy goes up against communists led by Kate Blanchett. Uh, most people think this movie is pretty bad. I I don't think it's really as bad as people say it is. One thing I kind of like is that the movie does kind of feel like a B-movie made in the late 50s. There's an alien element that certainly would have been one of the hallmarks of thrillers in the 50s. I don't think it's really that bad. Surprisingly, it did receive mostly positive reviews. Uh, this was beginning of an era of fan outrage due to the internet and information age. Uh, much the same way over the previous nine years of the return of Star Wars with the prequel trilogy, older fans of the franchise were much more critical than the critics were. I think the gap came from the fact that critics who liked the movie liked it because it had a lot of the recognizable Indiana Jones stuff in it. Chases, Harrison Ford being cynical, adventure, globetrotting, a villain that was proper for the era that it was set in, etc. I think that's why I don't really go hard against that movie either, as some people do. Um, however, it seemed as though the Indiana Jones series was basically over. Part of this was Harrison Ford was aging out of believable action hero physique and stature. Uh, part of this was Spielberg and Lucas seemed to just kind of be done with it all. And of course, the loudest of the negative reactions from the fans likely made it kind of unlikely another movie would come along. If, if there was anything that anyone could expect it would be recasting and starting over however i just i don't know that would have gone over all that well either and to a lot of surprise 15 years after crystal skull we have a new indiana jones movie and that's what we're really going to talk about here indiana jones and the dial of destiny steven spielberg and george lucas are indeed done but harrison ford is back as and Indiana Jones that seems to be kind of at the end of his career as a professor and archaeologist. Taking over as director is James Mangold, whose last two movies got him Academy Award nominations for Best Adapted Screenplay for 2017's Logan, one of the very best comic book action dramas made to date, and for Best Picture for 2019's Ford v. Ferrari. I feel as though that the absolute best guy to take over this was James Mangold. And when I saw his name attached to this, I was given some decent expectations. So how do these expectations pan out? Well, I'm, I'm actually not entirely sure if I'm being honest. Uh, let's try to work through this, right? Let's try to work through how I feel about Dial of Destiny. Um, there's a strange thing 
that um, or, or there was a there was this thing that that was said about 25 years ago, almost 25 years ago by Roger Ebert. It sounds kind of strange to hear it, um, but it actually kind of makes a lot of sense. And that clip from that episode of Siskel and Ebert is starting to kind of make the rounds again. And to paraphrase it, you basically said, I don't go to an Indiana Jones movie for character development. And that's, it's about as true as you can get. While it is certainly okay for us to get a check-in on Indy and, you know, what thing is going on in his life that might mean that his friends are not as nearby as we would might, uh, as we might like them to be, um, or why he's not settling down or whatever. Um, you know, that's kind of always been a part of the character way back in Raiders of the Lost Ark. However, with each passing movie, Harrison Ford is getting older, especially in these last two movies. So as the character loses a step in action man standards, uh, that means you have to fill the movie with something. And that something almost has to be character development. In the previous movie, we learn about how he and Marion had a kid in this movie, we learn why they aren't, you know, why those two characters aren't around uh, and why they're not going to be part of this movie. Add to that the addition of a goddaughter in Phoebe Waller-Bridge. So again, Ford is aging and we have to kind of place him into a parental type of role or so we kind of think. Um there is kind of an issue with Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character that turns out to be something other than what you might see in the trailers. Um, she's used as kind of a statement on modernity, and I will come back around to that in a moment. However, she and other supporting characters in this movie kind of start to become my main issue with the movie. There are characters that are so shallow in this movie that it grates on my nerves throughout the runtime. And it is a long runtime. It's two and a half hour movie. Um, there's one henchman uh, to uh, Mads Mikkelsen's uh, Nazi scientist guy who is flat out hilariously murderous. It seems like all he wants to do is kill people. And boy, oh boy are a lot of people killed in this movie. Unfortunately, it's the kind of wanton murder that isn't so fun. And there are a few times where I kind of felt bad seeing somebody get killed. I mean, it's fun when Nazis get killed in the cartoonishly wonderful ways they do in this movie, uh, but not some of the other more personal killings that happen. So, yeah, we have characters in this movie that become problems. We have murders that make me feel bad in this movie. These are issues. However, I do wonder if the more I think about this movie or the more I maybe go back for a repeat viewing, the more I will come around on a thought I had knocking around my head when I was driving home from the theater. It's possible these elements are trying to explore an aspect of a theme I really did kind of start to recognize or, or try to puzzle out while I was watching the movie. Um, and I will come back around to that again in a moment. But it is quite clear that Indiana Jones is himself a relic of the past. He and Mickelson are presented 
as people who the modern world have kind of left behind in favor of technology and kind of a different way of life. It's likely that some of these things that didn't sit too well with me is trying to basically say that one of these geezers is finding people he needs to succeed in his quest that will be willing to pull triggers and the other is putting his faith in the wrong people and that trust is misguided because you know he's kind of part of a, of a past that doesn't exist anymore in the modern day sadly it's our hero who's saddled with people around him that aren't easy to like and make us want to kind of scream at the screen that he needs to toss those people out of the plane and move on without them. But let's circle back around to that modernity thing with this movie. Um, after an opening scene that takes place during the waning days of the European theater of world war II, we then go to 1969 where Indiana Jones is retiring. And it seems as though everyone around him is more interested in the recent moon landing and what that means about the future and less about digging up trinkets from the past. Indiana Jones in 1969 is a figment of the past, just like his on-screen adventures are in 2023. It's kind of really the best thing about this movie, that contrast of what the passage of time does to things that used to mean something in a more quaint era. You know, how can Indiana Jones, the character, compete with humans actually landing on the moon how can indiana jones the action adventure series compete with the grand scope of say the avengers films maybe this movie is meant to be thought of thought about in those kind of terms by people who are 45 and up i can tell you the 10 year old girl sitting next to me in the auditorium could not give two shits about Indiana Jones and the relic hunting adventures of that old man. I do like thinking about how I've kind of grown up with this character more so than any other character in any series. Um, you know, that has been part of my life for this long. I've grown older with, with Indiana Jones. It's a, it's at a point now where I will likely be older than, say, the next James Bond character. So, in a way, I should be thinking about this treasure hunter in more mature ways. It's a movie that still mostly kind of looks like these you know, movies always have. The effects are smaller in comparison to the Marvel or Star Wars films, and I kind of like that. Um, so, neither Indiana Jones the guy or Indiana Jones, the series can ever really be considered something modern. He has to be that relic of a simpler style of action film. Um, you know, we need to see him digging around in musty and dusty old caves and caverns and tombs, not dealing with world threatening situations. Yes. He is kind of dealing with something that is kind of world threatening in this film, but how he deals with it is different. Um, what he wants in the end is different. And I am glad he doesn't get what he wants. But it's a different way to look at how this character has grown and what he thinks his future is compared to you know what we know he was in the past. So in a way, this movie does do something that you wouldn't expect to do, which is make us think about 
his characterization and how he's gotten older and what that might mean and how that might affect us uh, as we've kind of grown older with this series. I also do like the idea. And, and again, this kind of ties to that modernity thing. Um, you know, I, I do like the idea that the world has become a more complicated place. If we kind of think about it, there is one thing this movie does that, is really kind of interesting. And that does explore the concept that all these guys that Indiana Jones has punched in multiple movies, that, that there was a whole war to fight, to defeat. We ended up hiring them in the United States. There's a, there's a term that's used in this movie a couple of times, and that is to the victor, the spoils, the United States, not only won world war two with our allies, but we also, plucked out Nazi scientists who could actually do something for us. And that's an uncomfortable fact that we have to live with. And it is something that does make us think that, wow, you know, things aren't as simple as we like to think they are, especially as time progresses. And we kind of see ourselves using that knowledge from those people that kind of make us sometimes not the best people in the world or at least not the best country in the world or the best leader or the most uh, influential or the ones that lead by example the best. So that is also something that uh, that does kind of play out in this movie that I do kind of think about a little bit. But one last thing I do want to say uh, before I give my final grade is that Harrison Ford really is pretty good in this movie. He does seem tired but still knows some tricks that are kind of constants in what he's always done as Indiana Jones. I mean, even 30 years after his old adventures, some of these things are still constants. He knows what people are going to do to chase him. He knows how to get away from those people. He knows how to drive a car really fast to get away from the Nazis shooting at him and so on. Uh, he is appropriately acting his age in some ways. It kind of hits you right in the heart. Again, this is a character that, has aged as I have, he and I are different than we were in that first adventure. I mean, obviously, because I'm at least a little more mature than the four-year-old I was in 1981. But I kind of feel some of what he's saying when he's talking about all the things that's happened to him and how he struggles to do things he could do so much easier 20 years before. Uh, even though two more films have come afterwards, I do kind of wax a little nostalgic or a little bit more um you know i don't know uh, poetic when i think of that last shot of last crusade um and when he and his father and their friends kind of rode off into the sunset of what we always thought would be the last film that's how i'll always kind of remember indy going out as being that triumphant younger man and how you know in a way i kind of want to go out that way too i want to remember myself as that slightly younger more triumphant version of myself than the aging uh rickety old guy that i'm going to become but that said while i do have a lot of mixed feelings about indiana jones and the dial of destiny i do think that this is one that will get a little bit better with repeat viewings it does have a lot that I like to think about Harrison Ford is good. The de-aging for the opening 
And another flashback that was in the middle of the movie was quite good and felt very natural. And that concept that I talked about with a character and person like Indiana Jones being a thing of the past as the world moves on without him. These are very good things about the movie. Yes, there are times where I felt those supporting characters were troublesome and I wanted Indy to ditch them as soon as possible uh, or the goon kind of being a little too heartless and cruel at times. And yes, it is probably a little too long of a movie. Uh, but in the end, this is riding a line between a positive B, uh, C plus and a B minus. But I will go ahead and tip it over to a B minus. It does feel a little fresher with James Mangold at the helm. And I don't see any possible way for there to be a follow up to this movie, at least with Harrison Ford. And with that, and how I said I'll remember Indy riding off into the sunset in 1989, I do think I'm in a good place to say goodbye to Indiana Jones. I don't need to see any more of his adventures, and I don't see any reason to think that there are any good reasons to do any more movies right now. Someday, I'm sure he will get recast and there will be new Indiana Jones movies, Um I don't know of anyone right now who could possibly step into the hat and whip and pull it off in any good way. Uh, but let's just let it be for now. It's been a good run and you know, we've had a lot of fun, but maybe it's time for the entire thing to kind of ride off into that sunset itself. Don't forget to follow Film Seizure at Facebook and Instagram. So you can be made aware of new episodes of our various shows as they drop. Um, you can also follow us at podcast providers like SoundCloud, Google, Apple, uh, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, and Audible. You can also listen to the show on YouTube by subscribing there. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with a review of the new Mission Impossible film, Dead Reckoning Part 1. So until then, don't forget to save me the aisle seat. <laughs>